for what he did and how important he was, not just in uh, Christendom, but in America as a whole. And uh, I had heard of, there's actually an Asbury College down in Kentucky, which isn't too far from where I grew up. And I had heard of it, but I didn't know, I didn't know the namesake behind it. So it's pretty amazing uh, as we'll go through this tonight. I mean, we'll talk about uh, Pastor Stole a little bit of my thunder talking about the hard choices that uh, that Francis Asbury made, but that that really is something, guys, that you'll see throughout his life. Uh, you know, there's a lot, as Pastor said, there's a lot of people that will profess Christianity and and they'll walk out and 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 they'll give their lives to the Lord and, and that pleases the Lord. But when it comes to making that next step and, and going that next step and being sacrificial, not a lot of people are willing to do that. And if you look throughout. Uh, Francis Asbury's life, he does that time and time again. He chooses the hard path, the, the lesser taken path, and it's pretty amazing when you look at everything he did in his life. So, uh, guys, I'm going to go go ahead and open us up in prayer. So, if everyone just bow your head for a moment, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this cell group teaching. I ask, Lord, that uh, you speak through me. I yield my tongue to you, Lord, and I ask that everything that you want to come forth tonight, Father, come forth in clarity, Father, and in truth. We ask you, Lord, to help us to learn from these amazing men and women that you've used previously, Lord. Help us to stand, Father, on the ground that they've already taken, Father, and, and to not have to, to go through that again, Father, but to be able to take advantage of where they've already gone. And Lord, I thank you that as we read about and as we study out the lives of these men and women, Lord, that we allow that to come into us, into our spiritual DNA and who we are, Lord, and that, Father, we take from them, Father, what you did impart to their lives, Lord, so that we can go forth and, and go farther in your kingdom, Lord. Jesus, I thank you for that. I ask tonight, Father, that uh, you make us a good fertile soil, Father, for the working of your Holy Spirit and for your word and for your teaching tonight, Lord. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to start with the quote in the book. Um, said, when he came to America, he rented no house, he hired no lodgings, and he made no arrangements to board anywhere, but simply set out upon the long road and was still traveling 45 years later when death finally caught up with him. And if you look, guys, at Francis Asbury's life, that's what it was. It was a life that was spent more on, a, on the back of a horse than it was standing upright on his own two feet. And a pastor kind of talked to it, and, and I'll get to it a little later, but uh, he rode over 250,000 miles on horseback. I don't know how much time you spent on a horse. Not a lot myself, but it's not comfortable. It's not like sitting in your, your seat with, you know, your back warmer and all that in the car. No, it's not like that. So, uh, he, you know, he chose the hard path. He chose the lesser traveled road. It reminded me of the uh, scripture, Matthew eight twenty. Uh, where it says, Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds have, in the, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that's how it was with Francis Asbury. He didn't know where he was going next. He didn't know if when he got there, anyone was going to take him in. He would go to a town, he would travel out, and he would get there, and he would look, the first thing he did was look for a place to preach. Once he found a place to preach, he looked for a family that would hopefully take him in. And sometimes that meant, sleeping out with the livestock sometimes it meant sleeping down on the floor with the dogs you know he he if it was if it was something over his head that was better than sleeping outside and getting rained on you know and, and that was the life that he that he lived 
Uh, history records that Asbury rode more than a quarter of a million miles on horseback, crossed the Allegheny Mountains more than 60 times, so across mountain ranges on a horse, stayed in over 10,000 different households, and preached over 17,000 sermons. This was a busy man. This is a man whose life was about the kingdom and not, not much of anything else. Guys, just to give you kind of a, a quick summary of what 250,000 miles looks like, for those of you that are here local to Dallas, it's about 240 miles to Houston. So imagine riding a horse between Dallas and Houston over 1,000 times. To the, from the earth to the moon, it's 240,000 miles. So he rode on a horse farther than it is from the earth to the moon. And guys, he did this 40, over 45 years, he did this. So 45 years of getting up on a horse and just riding. It just As I read about this man, his life just amazed me, the sacrifices that he made. So, so early life. Um, Francis was born in Staffordshire, easy to say, uh, England in 1745. Uh, his family were uh, Methodist, and his mom, he said, really was the one that encouraged him early in life uh, to live a disciplined life. Um, she would wake him up at 4 a.m. every day so that he could go and apprentice as a blacksmith um, and still have time to read the Bible and eventually go out and preach. He started preaching there uh, in England at the age of 15. Um, by the time he turned, I think it was 22, he had actually been licensed by the, with a probationary license by the Methodist in that area. And at the age of 23, he actually had a circuit. Um, and for those that don't know, a circuit is just basically an area that they were responsible for. Uh, a lot of times pastors didn't have a formal church, but they would travel around to lots of different smaller churches. And so he had that circuit at the age of 23 uh, there in England. Uh, it was seven, September 1771 that um, Wesley, John Wesley had been getting uh, requests from the colonies that they were getting people saved. Uh, you know, if, as we studied out the lives of like Whitfield was over there, right? And he was preaching and leaving behind all these people that had been converted, but there really wasn't anyone to disciple them. So the 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 congregation, the ministers that were there, had written back to Wesley in England and said, you need to send people over here, or you know, those that have been saved are going to be lost again. So Wesley began a campaign, and he was going out to the young ministers and saying, who's willing to go? There's a need in America. Who's willing to go? And Asbury said that when he heard that, you know, the Lord moved on his heart, and he knew that that was his calling. So 1771, he was 26 years old. He packed up, left England, and never returned. So left his mom, left his dad, left behind his family. Um, they said, you know, he as he could, he would send money back. Um, but there really, he he had very little contact with his family after that. And again, reminded me of another scripture. You think of Matthew nineteen twenty nine, where Jesus says, anyone who has ever left houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, or fathers, or children in my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that's what Asbury did. He Again, he chose that hard path, and he left his family behind. He left behind everything he knew, and he moved uh, as a British citizen to the colonies. And uh, it's going to kind of take us into where we are next. So 
He got to the colonies October of 1771. He landed in Philadelphia. And even though he was a British citizen, God had already started to move on his heart for the American colonist. And as uh, this was something I thought was neat, in his, in his own journal, he recorded uh, his first impression as he got to the city and was received by the American colonist. And what he says is, The people looked on us with pleasure, hardly knowing how to show their love sufficiently, bidding us welcome with fervent affection and receiving us as angels of God. Oh, that, me wa- oh, that we may walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. When I came near the American shore... My very heart melted within me to think from whence I came, where I was going, and what I was going about. And guys, I think that at that point, you know, Francis knew that God had called him to this. And he was excited. You can tell from that very first journal entry, he had made the choice to leave his home behind and to go do the Lord's work. And it it was something that that created a a fervency and and an ardor inside of him. And it really got him excited um, and, and you can see that throughout his life, um, that he was dedicated to what he understood and what he knew that the Lord had called him to do there in America. All right, so um, when he first got there, he went and he visited, uh, he was in Philadelphia and he went to New York and he, I don't know how to say this, he didn't really like what he saw. And what I, say, what I mean by that is, uh, he went to the churches, and, and similar to England, most of the ministers were in big churches in big cities. The problem with that is in the American colonies, a lot of the people were not in big cities. They were moving out to the countryside, right? There was free land if you were willing to go out and, and risk your life to take it. And he wanted to go out and to minister to those people. And uh, I don't think it was in this book. I think it was something else I read. He actually took a horse, I don't, th- I don't know if it was his, I think it belonged to the ministry, but he didn't ask for it, and he just took it one day and went out and started riding, and started basically doing his own circuit ministry out into the countryside. Um, and that wasn't something that the, the church itself necessarily approved of, that wasn't the way they were looking to go, but it was, uh, it was what the Lord had put on his heart, and where he knew he was, he was called to. So interesting thing, Again, guys, last time we studied about um, Jonathan Edwards, right? And we studied about Whitfield. And those were all kind of just prior to the American Revolution. And we talked about, you know, kind of their influence and what Whitfield, uh, as he spoke to people and told them that they had worth in God's kingdom and and how that kind of stoked the fires of that um, independent spirit that the American colonists had and eventually led to the American Revolution. Well, if you think about Whitfield, he got there five years ahead of that. And it said when he first got there, he was very loyal to uh, the crown, right? To Brit, to Great Britain, because that was where he was from. After a couple years, it said he prayed and said, Lord, give us the mercy to understand what, what our place is. Basically, meaning the American colonists. Are they, are they to remain British subjects? Are they to declare independence? And then later on, he prayed that God give them the grace to break away from the colonies. And uh, he actually, in 1780... So about four years after the American Revolution, he actually became a citizen of uh, Delaware. So he became an American citizen. Um, but going back, so 1776, right? The American Revolution starts. The English Methodist Church, with West, who John Wesley was heading, um, sent a, a note to his leadership, all of the uh, Methodist leaders who had come from England, and he said, come on home. He said, it's too dangerous there. 
basically come back to the safety of England. What, you know, we don't want you there in among the colonies. Uh, and the other thing to realize, guys, is that John Wesley, um, he was not in support of the American Revolution. He was telling the colonists, you need to remain loyal to Great Britain and to the king. Um, and what that did for the ministers that were there, uh, that were Methodist ministers, it, it sh- kind of cast a shadow of doubt on them. Uh, a lot of people, they said a lot of the colonists looked at them as spies for the king. So um, 1776, he says, come on home. Most every, almost everyone else starts to leave immediately. And it says within like two years uh, that Asbury was the only one that was left. And again, I told you that you know, he knew it was God's calling for him to, to speak to the American colonist. And that was his, that was his harvest field. And I'm going to read to you what he says here. He says, I can by no means agree to leave such a field for gathering souls to Christ as we have in America. It would be an eternal dishonor to the Methodist that we should leave the 3,000 souls who desire to commit themselves to our care. Neither is it the part of a good shepherd to leave his flock in time of danger. Therefore, I am determined by the grace of God not to leave them let them let the consequence be what it may. So again, guys, looking back to the hard choice, right? The easy choice at that point is to go back to England, where it's safe, where people trust you, where being a Methodist minister doesn't put a, uh, a bullseye on your back, right? But he couldn't do that because he knew his calling was there, and he stayed there. And he actually had to hide out for a period of time during the height of everything when the revolution was going on. Uh, People, had they known he was a, minister, a Methodist minister, his life very well could have been in danger. So he kind of had to hide out. Um, and again, you know, you go back to the scripture in John 10, uh, 11 through 13, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. And if you think about it, that's what most of the Methodist ministers of that time, you know, and it's hard to blame them, right? Their lives were in danger. They got called back by their leadership. They, they took off. But Wesley said, no, this is my flock. This is, these are my people. This is my sheep. I can't abandon them. And, and he stayed there. And throughout his life, you'll see that, that him, by him staying there, I believe it, it changed the course of American history because he couldn't have had the influence that he had in America had he gone back to England. And what we'll, what we'll ter- talk about a little later here is his ministry and what's called the circuit trail ministry where he went out on the circuit and, and rode those 250,000 miles. That tied together the out, outstretching areas of what was America at that point. And we'll see that even in the history books and the government, they recognize him as playing a major role, not just within Christianity, but within the tying together and the keeping together of of the United States as an actual nation, which is pretty cool. All right. Uh, So, guys, we're going to talk about his ministry. Um, All right. So, in in contrast to the common practice of the day, which we talked a little bit about is was to preach in a church, in a major city. That's what kind of what Whitfield did. That's what Wesley did. Even when they did outdoor preaching, like we talked about, 
It was always around large groups of people, and it would, they would preach to thousands and tens of thousands at a time. Uh, Asbury did something completely different. He got on, on his horse, and he rode out to where there may only be one or two families, and he sat down with them, and he preached more one-on-one, or one to maybe 20 or 30 at a time. Um, and by doing that, he, he went to the people that wouldn't have, any, wouldn't have otherwise heard the message. And obviously, when you do that, you don't, you don't have a thousand converts at once. It's not a Whitfield meeting where you're speaking to 15,000 people or 20,000 people. This is a slow process. This is a dedicated process. This is 45 years and 250,000 miles in order to, to see the thousands that he saw saved. But it's what God called him to. And it, and it wasn't the easy path, but it was the path that he was called to. And it was one that he was willing to walk out. And that's what, as I, as I studied his life out, that's what stuck out to me, right? I mean, the, the, as we study these great men and women of God, there's always something we can take away from them. And, you know, Whitfield was an amazing speaker. And Wesley had a great gift of organization. This guy was all about seeing it through, being dedicated, going to the end. You know, fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. This was the long-suffering man of that fruit, in the fruit of the, of the Spirit, so... Um, all right, guys, so the circuit trail ministry, as I said, that was basically going out and going from town to town to town and visiting people. So a, a typical minister that would be a circuit trail, he would have an area that was anywhere between 200 and 500 miles in circumference, and he'd be responsible for basically all of the preaching throughout that whole area. So he would, constant, he would go and spend time at a Bible study, preach somewhere, get on his horse the next day, drive, or drive. Ride somewhere else. Do the same thing. Spend time with your family. How are you doing? Pray with you. How's your Bible study going? Preach a sermon. Appreciate you. Thanks for the porridge. Gotta go. Got on my horse. Ride another twenty miles. So that was the life that that was the life they lived. Lived. And it, you know the the book brought out a point. It said you know this wasn't a romantic image of frontier life. The the reality of it was life and death. People would die while they were out making these you know trips from one one town to another. Um, it was pain and misery, and sometimes it was played out, it says, on hidden trails and roads to nowhere. So they really were, guys, out at the, in the frontier. There was danger of Native Americans attacking them. They, you know, you're a single rider out by yourself on a trail where no one else is around. And this was, again, guys, this was the American Revolution. This was before things were settled. This wasn't a, you know, a civilized area. Um, and, and this was, but this is the life that they'd been called to. Uh, it says that they encountered wolves who stalked them. Uh, hailstones pelted them. Chiggers and ticks preyed on their flesh. An unmerciful sun, summer sun and winter winds came against them. So, you know, just picture, guys, the life that they, that they chose to live. And, you know, it makes me think, uh, you know, when we, sometimes we've been in different facilities where in the summertime in Dallas, we're like, it's hot. I don't, oh, don't want to be here. I'm sweating, you know. Here, here these guys are out, you know, getting pelted with hail, but that's, that's what they were, you know, that's what they signed up for and what they were called to do. One of the things that said a popular saying in Asbury's time, when there was a harsh weather day, so it was a day that no one wanted to be outside, they would say, there's nothing out today but the crows and the Methodist preachers, which is, you know, that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but it's kind of cool that that became a, you know, a saying. It shows the, the, uh, the forbearance they had, so...
The American Methodist system was based on a man's willingness to forego all worldly comforts in order to gain a heavenly crown by spreading the gospel wherever he traveled. So, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, uh, verses 7 and 8, it says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. So, again, guys, he, he, it said in the book that he didn't understand or know the word comfort. You know, there wasn't, you know, silk sheets and fluffy pillows for him. It was, it was horseback, and it was mats and floors, and uh, a lot of times being outside. Um, but, but, so you've got to ask the question, why? You know, why do you do that? And obviously, if the Lord's called you to it, but also you have to love the people. And one of the things he said was, there was no family too poor, no house too filthy, no people too ignorant to receive the good news that life could be better. And it said, guys, that that's how he was. He, he, he was out, right, and he was traveling and said sometimes he didn't have money in his pocket and he barely had you know clothes on his back. They were falling apart. But it said that he looked around at the other frontiersmen, the other families that were out there, and they were in the same shape he was, and sometimes even worse. And, and he wanted to bring them the gospel. He wanted to bring them the good news. He wanted to tell them life, that, you know, life is worth living and Jesus loves you. And he, you know, here, here's what your life is really about. And, and that's, why, that's why he went forth and that's why he did it. And again, that reminded me of Luke chapter 4, verse 18, that says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. And, and that's really what Asbury, and not only Asbury, but the other itinerant ministers and the circuit trail riders, that's what they were doing. They were going out to people that were out on the edge of frontier, that were fighting the conditions, were fighting the elements, were fighting weather. And, and they said, let me tell you of the good news. Let me tell you of, of how your life can be better and bringing that hope to those people that really, that really needed it. All right, traveling ordination service. So America, guys, was expanding, right? There were the major cities, but everyone else was going out, and if you wanted land, if you, you know, that people came to America for the promise of, of freedom, but the promise that they could be landowners and they could have free enterprise and they could worship as they wanted to. Well, a lot of times to do that, they had to go out. They had to go out and claim land and um, what was happening was as America was growing and spreading, the traditional denominations, they couldn't keep up. Their, their model was establish a church, have a clergyman who spent years in college and getting ordained and getting credentialed and getting ministered, would then go to that church and they would stay with that church and build it up. And that took time and that took resources and they couldn't keep up with as America was spreading and the geography was becoming so vast and so many thousands of people were coming in, uh, they couldn't keep up with it. So you have Asbury, though, who, who looked at it from a different model. He said, okay, rather than doing that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm, I'm go out and meet the people where they are. And like I said earlier, I'm going to find a place to preach. I'm going to find a family that's going to let me stay there. And then I'm going I'm to pray with them. I'm going to get them converted to Christ. And what he did at that point was he looked around for a young man that he said was worthy of, the, of being a Methodist preacher, and he would ordain them on the spot. And it said that uh, 
there were four questions that they posed to evaluate a prospective Methodist itinerant minister. First was, is the man truly converted, right? So has he, has he received salvation? Does he know, second, does he know and keep our rules? So is he living holy? Is he going to be a true example of Christ? Third was, can he preach acceptably? And that didn't mean, you know, was he a dynamic speaker? It meant, did he know, did he know the truth of the word? Would he stay with integrity in it? And honestly, could he relate to the people? Could he, could he not only just give them the word, but could he tell them stories based on their life? which was one that was out on the frontier. And it said that, you know, God knew what he was doing with Asbury. He didn't send them to a formal education to college. He said where he was called to go, that wouldn't have meant anything. He apprenticed as a blacksmith. That, that was what the, these were the people he was being called to, the people that were out there that were labor workers. He was called to those types of people. And could, so the, one of the things was, could the people that were going to be ministers relate to those people? And then the fourth one was, did he have a horse? If you're going to be a circuit trail rider, you got to have a horse. That's just that's just how it goes. So, um, and again, that's because basically each preacher, as he ordained them, he'd be responsible for an area that was anywhere from 200 to 500 miles um, in, in in geography. Uh, that's a long way to run. So, um, again, guys, just looking back, um, Matthew 28 19 says that, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's really what Asbury did. He went out, he went from place to place to place, and he got people saved. He met with them where they were. He met with them in their own homes. And and he told them the good news, and he showed them a better way. He told them about salvation, got them saved. And he said when that happened, basically that was a new society. That was a new Methodist society. Uh, so that was a, a new church, basically, for them. And, and that was an outpost. And then he'd come back to that outpost. Or he'd assign an itinerant ministry to come back and to check in on those people and to disciple them. So just like Wesley's big thing was discipleship and staying with people and making sure once they got saved that they were cared for, um, Asbury did it, but he had to do it in a completely different way, in a completely different geography than what in England, right? People have been living there for thousands of years and... Uh, Everyone was kind of cramped together. Here, people were spread out, and you couldn't do it the way you had always done it because it, it wouldn't work. So, he, the, you know, I believe it was probably divine inspiration of the Lord to be able to go about and to do it this way. And what, that, what we'll find and what you'll see, guys, is it caused them a little bit of friction with the Methodist from England because they weren't there and they, weren't, they didn't see what was going on, and they didn't understand the... Um, I don't want to say the culture because it was more than it's not just the culture. It was how they were living. It was it was the way it was. It was the life of the American colonist. And they and they had to he had to kind of separate away a little bit the American Methodist Church from what the English Methodist Church was so that he could effectively reach the people. And it's something that he talks about that it was it was a hard thing for him in his life. But it was something that he, he had to do in order to be able to. Uh, to minister to the flock that was the American colony, colonist people. All right. All right, so um, Methodism grew like a, in a web-like network across the new territories from one corner of the nation uh, to the other. And with it, uh, and this is really cool, the gospel became the common language of the American people and revival became the common thread that wove together the American people as a nation. So, you know, 
here we are, right? We're over 200 years beyond that time frame. And sometimes we, you know, as we look back, we have people in our nation today that say, hey, you know, we weren't founded as a Christian nation. You know, they said we're, you know, everyone's saying we should be agnostic. The, you know, the Constitution separation of church and state. If you understand and you look back at the history of America, that's just not true. We were founded as a Christian nation. We were founded on Christian principles. And we were founded with the truth of God at the center of what we were doing as a country. And uh, it, it's, it's men like Francis Asbury who were not of the political system, but that had very much to do with how we came about as a nation and why we became the, the superpower that America you know, eventually became. All right, um, we talked earlier, guys, you know, I said, so why do you choose this lifestyle? Why do you go out? And, and it was because he had a heart for the people. He cared for the people. He loved the people, and he wanted them to understand and know the love of their father. Uh, one of the things that I found was interesting, they said, no one had mastered the art of simultaneously exercising inclusive participation and exclusive authority better than Asbury. All right, so what does that mean? Inclusive participation. Asbury didn't care if you were black, white, free man, slave. In, in his eyes and in God's eyes, you were the same. He didn't care if you were rich, if you were poor, if you lived in the city, if you lived in the country. The gospel message was the same message. So he was, he was inclusive of everyone. And then we talk about exclusive authority. So basically, what does that mean? It meant that he was going to watch over the sheep. He was going to watch over the flock, right? We talked earlier when, when the ministers, the Methodist ministers and leaders were called back to England, he didn't go. And sometimes, you know, we all, everyone looks at in today's society and culture and you talk about love and everyone says, oh, it's got to be toler- tolerating and it has to be cuddly and warm. And sometimes that's not love. Love is patient. Love is kind of, you know, knows no evil or it keeps no records of wrong. Love sometimes is fierce, Right. When, the, when, you're, when you're a dad and you're, someone's attacking your little kid, you don't gently go up and say, I tolerate that you're speaking poorly to my kid, and would you please kindly remove yourself from hitting it? No. <laughs> if you love that your kid, you go after them. And you are the authority, and you stand up for them. And that's kind of what Asbury was saying. He said I, he was the authority over these people, and he spent, if you look at his life, he earned the right to do that. Right? I mean... No one else traveled 250,000 miles on, on a horse. No one else stayed and risked their life during the American Revolution to be there for these people. He, he earned the right to have the say as to how, kind of how the American church was, was going to go for those people. And it wasn't because of him um, uplifting himself or wanting a position of authority. He did it because he wanted to make sure the, that everyone had the best chance to have the, a true gospel message and to have a life with Christ. And it wasn't done in a way to prop himself up, but as a way to take care of and to protect the flock that, that had developed in America. Uh, Asbury did not live a privileged life and had little but the clothes on his back. Um, but what drove him forward um, was seeing, and we talked about this earlier, the American frontiersmen basically in the same shape or worse shape than he was. And it says in the book that it wasn't the love of the road that kept him going, but it was the love of the man who lived by the road. 
And again, that just kind of reminded me, guys, of 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to the body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Wes, or, uh, I'm sorry, Wesley, uh, Asbury died at the age of 68, which, you know, back in that time, was a, that was a pretty long, healthy life. But they said that by the time he died, his body was that of a man that was decades older than, than what it should have been. Um, his love for the people kept him on that horseback and kept him riding those trails for over 45 years. And what that did to his body um, was, was basically cause it a, a lot of damage. It talked about his feet. It said his feet were so inflamed because of the iron stirrups of riding the horse that uh, they would be swollen to the point where he couldn't put his shoes on. And oftentimes he, he couldn't walk when he would get somewhere. He'd have to get on the crutches. Uh, it said that there were times that when he would leave one place, he would have the people tie him to, upright to the saddle so that he could make it to the next place because he wasn't even sure that he could hold on to the saddle to get from one town to the next. So they would literally tie him to his horse so he could, he could make it there. It said that he would not let any kind of sickness stop him. Um, he, he made trips and traveled with fevers, with boils, uh, when he had the flu, had terrible headaches. They said he had uh, bad throat infections and badly infected teeth. Um, you know, yeah, so not, again, not the easy path, right? We, you know, we, we sometimes uh, will allow those excuses of life to keep us from doing something that maybe we should do. Um, but that, that wasn't who he was. That wasn't what he was about. And as pastor said, you know, do you, how bad do you want revival? How bad do you want God to move in your life? And what sacrifices are you willing to make? And as I looked at Asbury's life, you know, it, it challenged me. I'd never heard of this man, but I have so much immense respect after, after understanding what he did and what he lived through uh, in, the, in the sacrifice and the dedication he had. All right, so that kind of uh, leads us into, I'll say, his, his legacy. Um, we've talked a lot about kind of already what, what he's meant to America. Um, but, you know, he stayed with the American people during the revolution. Um, and eventually he split the American church away from the English church. Um, and, and he did it so that it would be able to grow independently. The... American people, if you think about it, think about the times that they were living in. You've just gone through this revolution, and, and all of the people he's ministering to have just fought and, and lost loved ones and spilled blood to declare their independence from England, right? He understood that he couldn't effectively minister to those people. They wouldn't receive him if the church was still kind of seen as a puppet of the English Methodist society. Um, and it said that it, it grieved him. He said, I esteem it as one of my greatest calamities of my life to so highly grieve him. And at this point, Asbury's talking about Wesley. 
um, as he was as he made me feel very sensibly by his letter as fallen, fallen. So what he was saying was, you know, um, Wesley wrote him letters that basically told him he wasn't doing wasn't doing what was right. And and Asbury had grown up, you know, kind of not not idolizing, but looking at Wesley and in England, Wesley was you know was kind of the Lord's voice, and he he had to make this choice to kind of go against that. But he did it again because of the love he had for the people, and because that in order to be able to effectively minister to this group of people, they had to be separate from the control. Um, and one of the things that Asbury said was, "Mr. Wesley and I are like Caesar and Pompey." He will bear no equal, and I will bear no superior. And uh, again, kind of going back to what that means is because because uh, Asbury had such a love for the American people, he, he couldn't allow the control to to kind of remain from the, from England. So what did that? What happened to the Methodist Church? Right when he arrived, I told you he left in 1771. He left England. He came to America. At that time, there were four. Methodist preachers in America, and there were roughly 300 members of the Methodist Church in 1771 when he arrived. In 1813, the Methodist people kind of did a, a roll call, right, a census, and they said they they took to find out how many how many members they had. He died so uh, Asbury died in 1816, so this was three years before his death. They had over 212,000 members. So in his time frame, right, those 45 years of riding horses tapping people, ordaining young men, sending them out, the church grew from 300 to over 212,000. Going back to speaking to his legacy, guys, um, he was an advocate for abolishing slavery in America. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And he actually, I thought this was cool, he met and had dinner with George Washington to talk about this. Um, he petitioned Washington and said, you should sign a law to emancipate the slaves. And it was, I found it interesting. Washington said, in principle, I agree with you, but I don't think that the, you know, the nation would forbear it at this point. Uh, but I found it, it was also interesting that Washington, before he died, changed his will so that uh, upon his wife's death, he freed all of his slaves. So George Washington had a couple hundred slaves and he, upon his wife's death, he had them free. Now, whether that tied back to Asbury or directly or not, here's a man that, and he said, I don't understand it. He said, as a people, you just fought for your freedom. You fought to be independent, and yet you're enslaving another human being. Like, that just didn't comprehend. And when he was out preaching, he would, he would preach to that way. He, he, you know, he did condemn slavery. Um, and, you know, that was, it was something that, Amer- I mean, from my perspective, that was kind of a, an ugly spot in American history. And, and thankfully, later on with Abraham Lincoln, the slaves were eventually emancipated. But how much better would it have been if Washington had been able to listen to, uh, to Asbury back in those days? Okay, guys, finally, without any type of political motivation, right? So Asbury wanted nothing to do with government. He wanted nothing to do with running the country. Without that, the Methodist circuit riders, which Asbury initiated and oversaw, tied together the American people from the major cities to the farthest outreaches of the frontier. And his contribution was so significant 
that Asbury is listed by the National Historical Publications Commissions of the United States government as one of only 66 Americans whose works were considered essential to understanding the development of the American nation in its strategic place in world history. So you think about all, I mean, how many, pre- we've what, nearly 50 presidents now, um, you know, senators, all of that. There are only 66 people that the government recognizes and says, if you need to look at how America came to be what America is, look at these 66 lives. And Asbury is one of those. I found it interesting. I didn't know as well. He has a statue. And if you guys look at the front page of your handout, that is the statue of him on a horse, fittingly, as he spent most of his life there. Um, that's in Washington, D.C., guys. And it's, it's pointed on uh, 16th Street, looking south towards the White House. Um, and it just, it just goes to, speaks to the influence that he had on our nation in becoming uh, who we are. So that is the life of Francis Asbury. Um, I think, Pastor, is this working now?